if you really want me to know you, there are at least a couple of different ways um, to help me do it. You could tell me your story, or uh, you could show me your playlist. Now, I know that playlist is a new term. Some of you with flip phones or don't know what a playlist is, but um, I, I, maybe I could say, show me your CDs, or I could say, show me your cassettes, or maybe I could say, show me your eight-track tapes, or, or your albums. Like, any of those is fine. Whatever medium the songs you love are recorded on, uh, that music collection is part of what tells the story of your life. In fact, to some extent, it may have even shaped your life. I heard someone say, we are what we listen to. So if you were to explore uh, my personal music history, you would learn that I didn't even start listening to music in, until I was in high school. I'm not sure why this was, but in my family, we didn't listen to the radio, we didn't listen to records or anything like that. There was just no music at all um, in my home as I was growing up. Now, we did have a, um, a, a kind of a stereo. It was actually this portable um, record player, you know, that were the thing, it was, I remember that it was beige, and I remember that the, that the record player just kind of came down like this, and these speakers would open up to, the, to each side, and then when you're done, you can put the t- turntable back up, close the speakers up like cupboard doors, there's a handle on top so that you could carry it around, but that stereo was never unlatched in my house until I asked for it as a birthday present from my parents, and they gave it to me, and I went down to the mall and I bought my first three albums. I bought Elton John's Greatest Hits, Olivia Newton-John's Greatest Hits, and John Denver's Greatest Hits. And I thought, that's all the music that I will ever need right there. Uh, but of course, I added to my collection albums from groups like the Eagles and Bread and America, England Dan and John Ford Coley, Chicago, um, the Carpenters, the Beach Boys. Obviously, I wasn't a rocker. You know, I didn't have any albums from like Led Zeppelin or Pink Floyd or the Rolling Stones. I might have sung a couple of songs by Casey and the Sunshine Band because the lyrics, I mean, you know, it's one line said 50 times. That's the way, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and they just keep doing that. The whole song, you got it. There's another one, shake, 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 shake. Wait, I can't say that in, in church, but... Some of you already said it because you know, you know those songs. I mean, easy ones to, to memorize. At the age of 20, I became a Christian and my musical taste changed dramatically. I can still remember walking into a Christian bookstore for the very first time and getting an eight-track tape of Christian music. I had this little eight-track player in my, in my Toyota and I, <clears throat> I played that music and it was awful, actually. I mean, I didn't like the... I didn't like the music at all, but I loved the lyrics. Um, it, it, this music spoke to me like nothing else I had ever heard. And eventually I found other Christian artists that I liked. Bob Bennett, Amy Grant, Steve Camp, Twyla Paris, Rich Mullins. I sold all of my secular albums at a yard sale. I started to listen to Maranatha worship music. And then years later there came a time of brokenness when none of those cheery, Christian songs expressed what was in my heart, except one sung by David Crowder that includes the lyrics, when clouds veil sun and disaster comes, oh my soul, oh my soul, when waters rise and hope takes flight, oh my soul, 
Oh, my soul. And now my playlist is an eclectic mix of music. I have on there like Lauren Daigle. I have John McLaughlin, Sarah Bareilles, Ed Sheeran. I still have Amy Grant on there. My kids tease me about that, but I still listen to her music too. I've already informed Joe what I want him to sing at my funeral. There's a song by Fernando Ortega called Give Me Jesus. I said, Joe, you're going to sing that at my funeral. If I get... If I get two songs, we'll add Come to Jesus by Chris Rice. If I get three, Only Jesus by Casting Crowns. Does that tell you anything about me? The lyrics of the songs that play in my head tell the story of my life. Just as the music that you listen to has shaped you and reflects you. It is the soundtrack of your life. Music has always had that kind of power. In fact, even Jesus was shaped by the lyrics he memorized and the songs he sang. You may never before have thought of Jesus having a playlist, but he did. We call it the book of Psalms. Every poem and every song in that book was written well before Jesus was born. For the past 3,000 years, this collection has given the people of God words with which to worship to confess, to vent, and to meditate. Each one was, in one way or another, inspired by the Spirit of God and preserved for the people of God to help us relate to God honestly and passionately through all the ups and downs of life. And as a prayer companion, this book slowly and gently tweaks our thinking about God so that who he is and what he has done influences us even more than what we see or how we feel. It's that powerful. So we're going to be spending the next several weeks looking at the lyrics of a short list of psalms. It's not going to be a comprehensive study. It's going to be more like listening to a greatest hits album as a way of whetting our appetite for the whole discography of the 150 inspired songs that shaped the life of Jesus and can shape our lives so that we look more like Him. Now, almost every popular artist or a band has a signature song, right? I mean, you hear their name and immediately one song pops into your head. So if I were to say to you, uh, Judy Garland, you would think what? Somewhere Over the Rainbow, of course. That's, that's her signature song. Um, how about John Lennon? Imagine, most of you would think of that song. I heard that from a lot of people. How about the village people? Yeah, YMCA, of course. That's the one song that you think of when you hear of them. Simon and Garfunkel. Bridge Over Troubled Water, yeah, of course. You know, there might be a few that go, no, no, this song was better, but this is the signature song. How about the Rolling Stones? Satisfaction. I can't get, no, yeah. How about, uh, how about Queen? Oh, a little bit of a disagreement, Bohemian Rhapsody maybe, or We Will Rock You, you know, they have a few that are really, that really stand out. Actually, when I was going through this, Robin told me I needed to come up with some younger artists. I said, I would if I knew any, but <laughs> this is all I know. Plus, you know, when you're young, you don't know what it's going to be yet. It's kind of at the end of their career, you go, that's the song that defines them. Here's another oldie. King David. 
So he wrote at least 73 songs. And which one is he best known for? 23rd Psalm, of course. Um, If you can recognize the words of only one psalm, for sure this is going to be the one. Last week I sent out an email to several of you asking you to tell me what the 23rd Psalm means to you. And one person wrote back and said to me, I am still so lacking in my familiarity with Scripture that I didn't know what verses were connected to Psalm 23 until I looked it up. As soon as I found it, I recognized it, and I burst into tears. That's the kind of power that this psalm has. Somehow the Holy Spirit gave David the perfect words to comfort us like almost no other words can. And as we listen to them and we read them over and over again through the years, they become so embedded in us that even listening to them in a different translation sounds foreign. Whenever I read the 23rd Psalm to an older person, like, um, for instance, in in a hospital visit, I'm careful to read it in the King James Version because I know that that's the way that they learned it, and their memories and their emotions are attached to those, to those very familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Even as I read those words, some of you feel that lump in your throat or those tears rolling down your cheeks because you remember reading or hearing the words of this psalm at a time when you so needed to know that God was with you or with someone you love. In fact, to to apply left brain energy to dissecting this song, like we do with other passages of Scripture, could easily diminish the poetic beauty and the, and the emotional impact of it. So I'm going to try not to be too cerebral this morning. I, I, I just want to point out a f- some things that this psalm celebrates about God. First, and this is probably what most people would say um, that this psalm reminds them of, is that God is always with us. Verse four, verse 4 says straight out what the whole psalm helps us feel, Thou art with me. But verse 1 uses a metaphor that every ancient reader could relate to. The Lord is my shepherd. Everyone knew that a, a shepherd, a good shepherd, in contrast to a hired hand, would never abandon his sheep. He would sooner lay down his life than to leave those sheep to fend for themselves. I love the way that Isaiah 40 describes God. It says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. When our boys boys were young, um, we had this picture hanging up um, in their room. Go ahead and go to the next slide. There it is. 
And <clears throat> I don't know why it was that we decided to put that, that picture in a box as they grew older. Because no matter how old I get, I need to know that God is carrying me close to his heart. You know, don't you, that if you're a follower of Jesus, there's never a time when you're alone. And we would all say, well, there are times when I feel alone, but there's never a time when we actually are alone. And the one who is with you at all times is actually none other than Jesus himself. Remember Jesus said in John 10, I am the the good shepherd. Now there's a lot of disparity between a shepherd and sheep as much as there is between God and human beings. Unless God becomes a human being. That's what Jesus did. And because of that, we have a a shepherd that can totally empathize with us. He experienced birth, death, and everything in between. So he gets you, your stress, your fear, your tears, your pain, and he is committed to using the full strength of his divine power to provide for you and to protect you from anyone or anything that is threatening you. David's first thought after saying, the Lord is my shepherd is, I shall not want. Other translations say, I lack nothing or I have everything I need. Isn't it good to know that God meets all of our needs and that there will never be a time when that is not true? Remember that verse that we memorized during the God First series, Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and he will give you everything you need. After the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, Moses gathered them together and he said to them, these 40 years the Lord your God has been with you and you have not lacked anything. He talked about the fact that even their sandals hadn't worn out in 40 years. Their clothes were as good as they were when they put them on 40 years earlier. The way that God has provided for His people throughout history and the way that God has provided for you up to this point in your life, all of that is predictive of your future. And then that picture that David paints in verse 2 of a lush green meadow which is an all-you-can-eat buffet for sheep and of quiet pools of fresh water to quench their thirst. That picture is meant to remind us that God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. But I think there's more than just the promise of provision in verse 2. I think David is also rejoicing that God gives us peace. There's no stress No rush, no anxiety, no fear in verse 2, just stillness and tranquility. Bill Erickson and Mark Fortin both told me how thankful they are that God makes them lie down because it doesn't come naturally to them. Mark wrote this, as a man of business and busyness, I go astray in so many directions. And what does Jesus do? He makes me to lie down. I need to be told to lie down. 
I need to be led, sometimes forcefully, to lie down. His pasture is green, rich, and beautiful, ripe with restoration and all that I really need, but I need Him to make me lie down. It's embarrassing. It's humbling. You would think after decades of professing my love for Him and my desire to follow His lead that I wouldn't have to be led or made to lie down. Like any good parent who knows when it is time to put the children down for a nap, when they cry, struggle, and scream in resistance, the parent knows that upon awakening, the body and mind will be restored. Jesus takes me, shakes me, and startles me with a word or action and says, Come here, lie down, I am all you need. Isn't that good? I also want to read to you something that Janice Kieschnick wrote about how God has used Psalm 23 to give her peace. She said, at a very, at a, As a very young child, I learned Psalm 23 in the form of a song that our youth choir sang in church. Because I memorized it so young, it has always been with me. I had a lot of anxiety as a child and often found this verse comfort, very comforting. When I was a young mother with two small children, my husband was killed in an accident. He left one morning and I would never get to lay eyes on him again. So sudden. It was a very scary thing to suddenly find myself a single mother with two children depending on me to support and raise them and and comfort them through our shared grieving. I remember repeating this verse to myself often to quell the overwhelming fear of going on. Psalm 23 truly helped me, and I am so grateful that I was given this verse as a child to comfort me years later. You know, that's the power of of God-inspired lyrics that get into our mind and heart, sometimes at a very young age, and we hear them later in our life when we need them most. Mark's comments could could easily be attached also to verse 3 where David says that God restoreth his soul. That word that David uses for restoration could refer to the renewal of strength that God gives to us when we are out of gas physically or emotionally. It's the kind of refueling that Isaiah 40 celebrates when it says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Or it could also refer to spiritual restoration, the renewal of our relationship with God when we come to our senses and repent of our sin. In Psalm 32, David wrote, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. All of us have experienced that kind of restoration. So good to know that we have a God that is is quick to forgive, eager to restore us after we fall. And I love the way verse 3 reminds us that God guides us. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The Living Bible says, He helps me to do what honors Him the most. Our God is committed to keeping us on or getting us back on the path 
that is most beneficial to us and most glorifying to him. Linda Goodwin wrote this to me about how he has done that for her. She said, "There there were several times in my life when I was out of fellowship with Jesus that I needed this psalm to comfort me, to remind me that he was there beside me. It wasn't until I was in the lowest and loneliest times of my life and close to a mental breakdown that he pulled me up from the valley I was in and back into fellowship with him. It is only through his love and leading through the highs and lows in my life that I am here today. How many of us could say, me too? We would all be as lost as sheep without a shepherd if not for the staff of the Lord nudging us right or left at forks in the road, pulling us back on the straight and narrow when we stray. And God does not just carry a staff. He also carries a rod, a club, with which to protect us. Just as a shepherd fights off predators, God protects us from everything and and everyone who is out to harm us. Think of how many close calls you've had in your life. How many times have you been in the valley of the shadow of death and there felt the presence of God? Who knows how many invisible battles the Lord has won on our behalf. Cassie Welch wrote to me about her daughter, Hesia, a name that means protected by God. Hesia has a rare genetic disorder and has frequent seizures. It's been true her whole life. And, and yet Cassie says God has, does, and will protect her. Through 25 years and counting, we can look at Psalm 23 and thank God for her. The reality of hard days is evident, yet God's comfort is very real. If I can splice together a couple of different paraphrases, David says, even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. You are close beside me, guarding, guiding me all the way. And then the next thing David says about God in this psalm is that he honors us. Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Imagine being welcomed by God into his banquet hall. He greets you at the door. And as is customary in some cultures, he pours oil on your head because you are the guest of honor. And then he escorts you to the table, seats you at the place of honor. A feast of your favorite foods is served. And in the gallery of spectators around the edge of the room are your enemies. Those who misjudged you or mistreated you. Those who poisoned your reputation. Even though it was they and not you who were in the wrong. In agonizing meekness, you have waited for the Lord to vindicate you and to set the record straight. And now he is doing just that. That picture is a preview of what you will experience on the day that God writes all wrongs. Perhaps that phrase, my cup runneth over, refers to the joy you will feel when God honors you in the presence of those who have dishonored you. And then there are those familiar words, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
Those words just remind us of how much God loves us. That word mercy translates the Hebrew word chesed, which means kindness that is fortified by faithfulness. It's it's the fusion of God's love and His trustworthiness. He's promised to love us. And And we can count on the fact that He will never treat us with anything less than our best interest in mind. He is absolutely committed to doing what is best for us at all costs. In fact, His goodness and mercy pursue us. Lauren Hamilton knows the Hebrew language. She's Jewish. She, she grew up learning this language, sometimes mem- like, uh, translates passages from Hebrew into English, and she says that that word that's translated follow in this verse means to chase after, to track and take captive like a hunter does his prey. God, the love of God, pursues us just like that. I have to show you this page from uh, my wife's Bible. That's actually a picture of uh, the page that Psalm 139 is on. And you see that sparkly red heart that's there? You think, well, that's nice. So she went and she put some little glue on a page and she put the little red sparkles. That's not how it happened. Actually, after church one day, one of our kids had done a little art project in Sunday school. They handed it to her and she just stuffed it in her Bible. She didn't know that the glue behind the, the glitter was wet. She pulled it out later on, looked at it, Never thought about it until another time when she was needing to know that God was close to her, and she opened her Bible to Psalm 139, and that red heart was right there next to it. It's amazing. It's a visual reminder of God's love and His promise to pursue her with goodness and mercy all the days of her life. That's God's promise to you, too. And finally comes this climactic conclusion, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In addition to all the other promises in this psalm, God gives us the hope of living with Him in His house forever. That's the promise that brings Psalm 23 to mind whenever we're with someone who is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. These are the words that we ourselves will probably cling to when we are on our deathbed. Meredith Kerr wrote to me, Psalm 23 was a pillar of hope as I sat with my 90-plus-year-old friend Evelyn over her final years. At the end of each visit, we finished up our prayer with verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We, We almost always nearly shouted that last word as a declaration of joy in what was ahead for her, even though her body and mind were fading. And Marilyn Kendall emailed these poignant words to me. I remember that when my father was nearing the end of his life, the Holy Spirit spoke to me through Psalm 23, reminding me that Jesus was continually with Dad and me, that I had nothing to fear, that Jesus was waiting for my father and to receive him in heaven. It really took all the fear away and prepared me to let him go home to heaven. My dad was my favorite person in the world, and we were both believers. The psalm also assured me of real living ahead for my dad. How precious and sweet were those moments, knowing how God reached out to me, already knowing when he would take my dad and bringing me peace, relief, and comfort 
during those excruciatingly painful days. As I'm kind of working my way through the psalm and trying to explain it to you, you know, I, I wonder, you know, does this sweeten the psalm for you or does it sanitize it when we, when we talk about it like this? Um, the one thing that I know for sure is that there's something in that psalm that you need right now. Somehow, almost any psalm, any psalm that I read intersects with my life in some way. Right now, I'm going through the psalms in my, in my devotional time. I read a psalm a day. And almost always, there's one particular line or a phrase, sometimes just a single word, that just launches me into heartfelt prayer about something that's going on in my life. That's the way that great song lyrics are. Maybe not every line relates to what you're going through, but there's that one phrase that goes right to your heart. What's that one phrase in the 23rd Psalm for you right now? We're going to do something right now that um, we don't do often enough in church. We're going to give you some time to just go one-on-one with God. I know there are people around you, but we're going to try to create an environment right now where you can just read through this psalm. It's all going to be silent. And um, I want to encourage you to look for that one line, that one truth that you most need to know right now and talk to God about it. Thank Him for it. Express your heart to Him. You're going to be hearing a song by Shane and Shane uh, called Psalm 23, and um, we're going to play it real low so that you just have a time right now. It's It's going to last about five minutes or so. You're going to have a real chance right now to commune with God. I encourage you to do that as we, as we play this song. i 
You have the words of Psalm 23 on your note sheet there. Or you can see them up here on the screen. Let's just, uh, let's just speak the, the words of this psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh God, thank you so much for these amazing, memorable words of absolute truth. What an anchor they are for us in the midst of the 
turbulence of life, God. Thank you for all the truths they teach us about you. Thank you that you are with us now in whatever we are going through. That you will give us everything we need to go through it victoriously. Thank you that those of us who have been on the wrong path are even today being brought back in line with your perfect will for our lives. Thank you that as we um, struggle so, so deeply with death, the death of someone that we, that we love, the nearness of death that someone is at right now, and even the prospect of our own death, thank you that you'll never leave us even through that, that it's actually only going to get better after this. We are comforted by that. We rejoice in that. It causes our heart to well up with compassion for those who don't know you yet. Maybe even some people here. God, would you give them the grace to just believe in you and in Jesus and what he's done for them? so that they can experience life as you intended it to be. The kind of life that Psalm 23 talks about. In Jesus' name, amen.